The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, politics, comedy, and adult themes. Tuesday, the 30th of November, 2021. It's the last day of spring and we're wrapping up the spring series with a very special guest indeed, Alex Lee. She's from the television. You know her from The Feed on SBS and Win the Week on the ABC. You knew her from The Checkout and The Roast and maybe even the Dungeons and Dragons show Dragon Friends. In this episode, we talk about the importance of dark comedy. You've got to find joy in the absurdity of a terrible situation sometimes. We discuss what it's like when a powerful figure sues you for defamation. Oh, what a horrible thought. It just made me feel kind of sick that there were people sort of looking into trying to dig up dirt on me. And Alex even learns a, a new word. I thought I knew all the words for all, all my bits. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm dark comedy defamation dungeon with Alex Lee. Oh, yeah, and I, I make a couple of embarrassing admissions. Alex C. Lee, welcome to The Edict. <laughs> I've been really looking forward to this. Me too. Look, are you enjoying the news so far this week? We've had the oh. Omicron variant, Peter Dutton's declaring war on China, kind of. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty spicy week in the old news, you know. I mean, I don't think anyone really needed the the Omicron news. That sequel, you know, it's, it's the one that nobody asked for, really. No. Well, look, um, I'm, I'm going to yeah. start, though. By playing you a little bit of our beloved leader, Scott Morrison. It's only 32 seconds. I think we can make it through. <laughs> Put my hand on my heart. The rules that exist in the real world must exist in the digital and online world. The online world shouldn't be a, a wild west where, where bots and, and bigots and trolls and others can just anonymously going around and harm people and hurt people, harass them and bully them and, and sledge them. That's not Australia. That's not what can happen in the real world. And there's no case for it to be able to be happening in the digital world. Now, what I love about that clip, I don't know whether you saw that press conference, they're, they're doing it at the side of a kid's footy match. Yeah. So there's and, and, and like a, a girls' um, AFL game and the kids are out there pra- or practice. And so it's all about protecting the kids. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, and, and he, he did say protecting women as well and we all know that's a problem, but really. <laughs> People and what, women, yeah. People and women. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, that's such, I mean, you can see the thinking behind the optics there. It's like, oh, kids behind the computer screen getting trolled bad. Kids out yeah. there playing footy. Um, you know, healthy, I'm sure right? there's <laughs> That's good. So there's some sledges going on on that footy field too, but those ones are Australian type of sledges, so they're okay. That's right. Yeah, they're and fine. they're kids, right? I mean, kids are assholes, but <laughs> did you? I'm just asking now. Did you play sport as a kid? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, I played. Oh, okay. uh, I did gymnastics for a while, um, okay. and I did tennis. Um, yeah, and then I did. I I dabbled in cricket. I did about one term of cricket. Okay. And um, everyone, it was, everyone was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> they were so bad that I managed to get a hat trick when I was bowling one over and I wasn't a very good bowler. <laughs> but I was like, well, that's my uh, crowning no, keep achievement. That, keep that, yeah. I can retire <laughs> on that one and then I did. <laughs> oh, and ne- I played netball too, of course. I forgot about that one, yes. That's sort of compulsory in Australia, isn't it? That's right, yeah, yeah. I went to one of those boys' schools where sport was supposedly compulsory and I was the deep nerd. I wanted to have nothing to do with it. (laughs) But the school chaplain, who was uh, previously an anti-aircraft gunner on the Kokoda track, (laughs) um, I'm old, yes, um, he set up a game for all of the kids who didn't want to play sport and it was called Mashball. Oh, what is Mashball? Mashball. The <laughs> rules were as follows. You'd put a gymnastics mat, two of them, 100 metres apart, mm-hmm. and you had a volleyball. 
And the rule was that if you got the ball touching the mat and both your hands were still on the ball, that was a goal and that was the only rule. Wow. And it was viciously violent. I can imagine. Because um, he just figured these these teenage boys need to burn off their energy, right? They need yeah. to vent somehow. <laughs> uh, there was another. There, there was another rule. Uh, swearing got you a twenty-five meter penalty, unless okay. it was really good, and then the other side got a twenty-five meter <laughs> penalty. So that was kind of a bit of jeopardy. This sounds like a very cool chaplain. He was. You're allowed to he swear. Was. Mash ball. Uh, Kyle Waters was his name. He's uh, <laughs> clearly no longer with us. Um, but but uh, what a legacy. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a Protestant <laughs> school, so the Bible didn't really figure much in, yeah, yeah. in what it's was just going hard, on. Really. <laughs> yeah. um, how are you feeling about Scott Morrison's new anti-troll, but brackets, really anti-defamation oh. privilege white men having a sook law? <laughs> It's really, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Like the problem with it is that it doesn't protect the people who actually do need protection from harassment and and, and online trolling and bullying and those sorts of things. Like that, it is a real issue, but it doesn't seem to be very interested in protecting those victims at all. And like you said, it's just about politicians with, with hurt feelings and, and giving them even more power to you know, launched defamation proceedings against against citizens who who dare to criticise them. I mean, it's it's quite galling, really, and it's obvious that they've done some polling and people, mm-hmm. and that's something that he can sort of go out on ahead of the election and say, just use the word trolling and bullying a lot, and people sort of generally agree that that is bad and something should be done, and not many people are going to be that interested in the details of the law. Um, so he can sort of just get away with using it to pursue grievances and, and maybe keep a few uh, litigious <laughs> politicians <laughs> in his party happy. I don't know. Like, yeah. Uh, well, speaking of litigious people, and I'm now going to tread very carefully. <laughs> last year, and I'll I'll just read a quote to quote the Guardian. Alan Jones is suing SBS and the feed presenter Alex Lee for a segment about his retirement from radio, which his lawyers say portrayed the broadcaster as a racist, a misogynist, a liar and a pedophile. Now, (laughs) I'll leave you not commenting on, I, I did actually see your tribute to Alan Jones. And oh, I thought you it did. Was you extremely, saw it before it got taken I saw down. it before it got taken down. <laughs> I thought it was very sharply written and to the point. Uh, and I thought his inferences from it were interesting. But that was in October last year. Mm. And then two months later, on Christmas Eve, the news came through that he dropped. Well, hadn't dropped. A, an agreement had been reached. Yes. Uh, there was no apology required, no financial compensation to Mr. Jones. Uh, obviously, it had to be taken down, although it had already been taken down at that point. And I, I do like, as this is uh, now from a Sydney Morning Herald piece, uh, SBS uh, denied the meanings claimed by Jones. They they pleaded the defence of honest opinion and asserted that Jones's reputation was already so bad it could not be damaged by the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. Now, that that's a recitation of the facts. We're all fine. Yeah. The lawyers need not be in touch. <laughs> As a TV presenter, you did have the backing of SBS. So yes. let me ask the lamest question in journalism. What was it like? Oh, no, you know, it was terrifying, really. I mean, we when we we wrote it and the day that it was announced and it just happened to be on the Tuesday of the day we had the show, but there was so much stuff on the public record that we went off and, that, you know, it, it went to the lawyers and, and they were happy with it um, as something that we felt, you know, could be backed by public record or things that have been said Um by Alan Jones himself. So, um, it, yeah, but when it happened, it, it was it was quite a few months after it actually went to air. So, I yeah, I wonder how he sort of, they stumbled upon it. It obviously wasn't something that sort of made a, a, a splash when it originally came out. 
Um, but really, it's such even when you have the backing of, of the broadcaster and, and they continued to back me throughout the whole thing, which was I was really appreciative of, um, it's still, yeah, horrible to, to, to think about going into a court case and, you know, the things that can be dragged out about you or subpoenaed or even the idea that there were just lawyers. Alan Jones had some very expensive lawyers who were, had people working on me, like people looking into me, like, um, I I am very because I have a, a background in news. I'm I'm very cautious about like the stuff I put mm. online and and on social media and things like that. But even then, I was like, oh, what a horrible thought! It just made me feel kind of sick that there were people sort of looking into trying to dig up dirt on me. Um, you know, when I just felt like I just said some things that were already out in public. So, um, yeah, it was a very anxious time, and I didn't even you know have to worry that I would be personally responsible you know, for having to oh, any payouts or yeah. anything like that. But even then, just that, yeah, so I have, I have so much sympathy for uh, people who get caught up in, in these things now. Like Shane um, Bazzi recently, exactly, of course, who's yeah. going to have to come up with $35,000. Oh. Now, he at least has generated a bit of profile. He's got people to give him a hand. But it it does show how incredibly expensive it can be. But also for me... I mean, how many people would have seen Shane Bazzi's tweet? How many people would have watched your uh, – I mean, with all due respect to the feed. No, no, totally. Yeah, I mean, it didn't get – more things got sort of – they pretty much republished the monologue in whole across all the articles that got written about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, because <laughs> yeah, it's it's juicy content, as, as you say. <laughs> but, yeah, um, exactly. I mean, it was it definitely amplified – the proceedings, you know, amplified what Shane had tweeted and, um, yeah, that's the funny sort of nature of those cases, isn't it? They mm. call it, what is it, the um, the Barbara Streisand, Streisand effect. effect. Yeah. The Streisand effect. For people who don't know that, um, Barbara Streisand has a like a house right on a clifftop along the Californian coast somewhere and uh, a, an environmental agency had sent, an aircraft along to photograph all those cliffs, you see, to see are they eroding, will the cliffs fall down, whatever, and published them all uh, on this this government agency's website. And Ms Streisand objected, saying, now people will know where I live. The thing is, though, no one knew that was where she lived until she pointed <laughs> out the house and said that's where she lived. Hence the Streisand effect, you kind of make a fuss about something and more people will actually know about it and the whole thing backfires. Finally on that, I just want to show a beautiful tweet on Monday night from The Wire, which is a community radio uh, program about uh, – is that the one about the media? No, it's the, their daily news show on community radio mm-hmm. around Australia. And they said, the federal government is on a crackdown to stop online harassment with a new legislation, a, a new legislation, that would make all social media accounts traceable to a single user. Would you like to be that user? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Oops, dear. we made a huge mistake in writing this. <laughs> I like it. Bad I like news, it. Karen. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it is crazy, the... Um, the fear of defamation hangs over everything you do, even before, mm. you know, even before I did this. When, whenever you, um, were, you know, a, a, anytime you broadcast anything, and there's so much, lawyer, you know, lawyers are so the broadcasters spend most of their time being worried about things like that. Yeah, and it, yeah, it already, you know, has such a chilling effect on the sort of criticism that you can publish. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it really it really worries me to think that they they would need to strengthen those laws because the, the types of people who can afford to launch defamation proceedings are people who already have quite a lot of money and well, yes. influence and yeah. So yes, quite quite worrying. I really do. I really do feel for Shane and the effect that it's going to have on on other people who just want to air legitimate concerns and criticisms of the people in power as, as so they should. Well, let's uh, change the topic slightly. All 
Oh my god, girl, how was it? So much drama. <gasps> Tell me everything seriously. So you know me, it's an international conference. I'm just there to kind of chill and mingle. Yeah, you're just there for a low-key time internationally. Exactly. But then, massive beef between ScoMo and Macron. Oh my god, about the submarine. Uh, legit, what else? I see them talking and vibes seem kind of hostile. So I go up to Macron with a group of the girls and I'm like, hey babe, are you okay? And did he like seem pretty upset? Mm -hmm. I was picking up on that energy, yeah. So what did he say? Girl, he just loses it. No. He's like, he broke my trust, he broke my trust. He wanted my submarines and now he's flaked on my submarines and he wants US submarines or some shit. Oh my god, and then what did you say? I'm like, Babe, are you sure that's correct? Like, did he actually lie and get this? He looks straight at me and he says, I know he lied. Dead, I'm literally dead. I know, imagine my face. It must have been so good to see everyone though. How was China? Ghosted. What, the actual? Ask me if Russia showed up. I mean, they didn't. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but are we surprised? But then Biden goes off. No. He called it a, get this? Yeah. Big mistake. Oh. Well. It was really intense. You had, to, you had to be there probably. Okay. Oh my God, did I tell you about the text? No. Spill. Okay, we are like two Bellinis deep at this point. Yum. And Morrison, he claps back. What? He's like, I am not a freaking liar and I've got receipts. So he pulls out his phone and he shows us texts from Macron. Like the actual text. Uh-huh. And then of course Macron is like, you've betrayed my trust. Confidence, it's shattered right now. It's shattered right now. Oh my God, we need to spend at least two days talking about this and literally nothing else. Agreed. And what did you guys say about climate change? Huh. You know, it didn't really come up. Yes. Right. Huh. <gasps> did I tell you about the texts? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you just mentioned that actually, yeah. But you didn't fix the climate. We'll just get to it next time or something. Yeah. Now that clip is from SBS TV's The Feed, uh, which of course is where you know Alex Lee from, amongst many other places. From early November, obviously from the context, that's uh, Alex Lee and your colleague whose name you just told me and I have already forgotten it. <laughs> Jenna Owen. <laughs> Jenna Owen. Yes. Jenna Owen. She's fabulous. I've seen her on a few things uh, recently. You've done quite a few bits on climate change. Are you getting sick of it? Oh, it's so hard to write comedy about climate change because it is just, you know, if you if it's one of those things, you know, you start thinking about it for more than 10 seconds and you get just unbearably depressed. And <laughs> um but we you know it, it's something that we often feel like, oh, we 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 can't ignore it, but we it is one of the more challenging things to to write. Mm. write comedy about because it, it is just one of those things that hasn't really changed that much. The message of it hasn't changed and the frustrations are the same. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. You know, we've known about this for so long and so trying to find a fresh angle on it, um, you know, it always ends up sort of our climate change sketches always end up going to some of the most absurd places. We had another one this year where we had um, a Victoria Zerbst who's also on the Feed Comedy team um pair up with her dad and it was sort of another one about COP26 about a, a girl trying to get her dad to clean up his disgusting room and it was sort of a comment about the different gener the younger generations are the responsible adults ah. in this situation and the older leaders and um, the people are the ones who are dragging their feet and so it was sort of a little role reversal one which was lots of fun but that ended up you know going <laughs> to the extent where the dad had, had shit the bed and, and the, the <laughs> daughter was trying to get him to clean it up. So they do end up going <laughs> pretty far out places. Well, um, I mean, that's the way to do it. Mark Humphreys just a few weeks ago on this very pod was saying mm -hmm. he's just running out of climate jokes. His job's getting boring. Can we just solve it and then we'll have a new <laughs> global yes, crisis? He's sick of coronavirus as well. You know, oh, but. yeah, yeah. The, you know, these are the, the true victims in all of this. It's always the satirists who, uh, right, you know, running absolutely. out of ideas and end up shitting the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this is your first time on the pod, so we should look at the Alex Lee story briefly. I did uh, do, do a search for your name, and one of the most recent things uh, posted about you was from the Hawthorne Football Club, which says, and I quote, Alex Lee was an outstanding schoolboy rower and cricketer at Wesley College. That's true. And his you know, rowing... When you <laughs> 
<laughs> his rowing prowess being such that he re- later represented Victoria in the King's Cup. Mm-hmm. I forgot mm. to mention that when we talked about what sports I played earlier, but yeah. yes, no, I did. Yeah. I did do you a lot of schoolboy rowing. At the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. It's 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 a shame. It's such a common name. Maybe I should change it and get a more uh, <laughs> a more famous sort of name. <laughs> yeah, I looked you up on IMDb as well, and uh, uh, yes, there's a large number of Alex Lees <laughs> yeah. as animators and lighting technicians. And- it's a shame, yeah, because you know it, it could be <laughs> any of the genders, and um, you know maybe Lee's one of the most common last names in the world. So it's, oh, it's tricky it to just- stand out, you know. I remember when I tried to start my Facebook page, I wanted Alex Lee, and it was taken by a a 15-year-old boy from America who'd become famous because um, some someone had taken a picture of him and a lot of teenage girls thought he was very hot. <laughs> His name right. was Alex Lee. Al- hot Alex Lee from Target had stolen my Facebook page. I was very upset. <laughs> I was like, I can't compete with this. Uh, he's probably a QAnon believer now. <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, no, no, but more seriously, uh, I first became aware of your work on The Roast, which was a fabulous little show. Yeah. Uh, but you were also a producer on News 24, and before we started recording, I, I think we did meet there at some point, but which came first, journalism or comedy for you? Um, you know, always hand in hand. I did a journalism degree at uni, but I spent most of that degree doing comedy and not going to my classes. Um, you know, I did. I that's when I really got stuck into things like theatre, sports, and doing the arts reviews, and then going off and doing comedy festival shows during uni. Um, but I was always sort of my first job, my first proper job out of uni was at was at the ABC, and um, yeah, I guess I just I I found the media a really fascinating place and um, really always wanted to work in it and wasn't really sure how to sort of make a career in, in comedy. And um, so I've always done both. I did. I started off at ABC News. I started off as a runner. I was, um, you know, printing out scripts and doing the auto cue and making cups of tea for mm-hmm. the newsreaders and everything and then um, started working as producer and then got um, – got the opportunity to audition for the roast and because it was in the ABC I was allowed to sort of take a secondment and go and do that. Wow, huge change. Yeah, that was a real turning point for me when I was just sitting in a room with these other sort of young, brilliant comedians who I'd never met before, people like Mark Humphreys and and Jazz Twemlow and Evan Williams and um, being this situation where we had to just write an episode of, of satirical comedy every day. It was really rough and ready. We just we started work at 6 a.m. Um, we'd written and filmed everything by three. It was so much fun. And just sitting in a writer's room, um, yeah, it really made me, I was so happy doing that job. And it's just one of those things where it sort of lights your fire and you go, oh, this is what I'm meant to be doing. I love this. And, um, yeah, you know, one of those wonderful shows that we definitely need to see more of by the public broadcasters, you know. Absolutely. Such a great opportunity for young comedians, yeah. It's also a crazy way to make television, like with a completely <laughs> blank slate every morning. Yeah. Now, now that said, any news journalist is in the same position, right? You, you like for TV news journalists, you got to ma- or current affairs, you got to make your two minute or six minute film that day. That's but, true. They don't have to make it funny though. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and there's a grammar to it. There is a mm. a, a fixed style. Uh, when I was a producer with ABC Radio in Adelaide many years ago, sorry mm. to bore you regular listeners, you know all this, um, <laughs> but producing those like three-hour talk shifts, there was one of the senior producers there who went across to produce 7.30 report for a while and would always, always – uh, 7.30 report as it was then, yes. Right, just yes. 7.30 now. <laughs> he he would always have a go at the uh, the TV journalists complaining they had to do, like they only had the afternoon to do their story for 7.30. <laughs> and he'd just say, go over a work in radio then, you're doing seven of them a day. Exactly, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the radio is, is the sort of the content minds for everything really. Like, Isn't it? A lot of the time News 24 you were just taking – 
the stuff all the radio journalists had gone and uncovered and putting some pictures on top of it. Like that's right. That's the majority of, of, of TV news, really. That's right. Um, and then newspaper journalists will tell you they're doing the journalism and it's just radio who kind of grabs it and goes and f- calls someone for a comment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, – I love you, Kate McClymont. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, yes, it is a crazy way to make television, that. But then you were with The Checkout. Yeah, that that's was, right. that was a huge show. That was, yeah, it was fantastic. And then. Well, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, you, you know, it's not home and away. Oh, sure. It's not like 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the block. <laughs> Depends on your definition of huge. Right, right? yeah. Well, de- you know, compared to the roast, <laughs> definitely <Yeah>. was. <laughs> Um, yeah, the checkout was such a special show to be a part of. And, you know, if you think making comedy about the news is hard, then, you know, try making it about a very specific part of consumer <laughs> law. <laughs> that's the real thing. You know, that's the real challenge. You know, it was so half the time you were like just l- trying to read legislation and, and make sense of it and then, you know, you're hopping up and getting dressed in a bee costume to do a story about honey and then, you know, going back to interviewing people. So it was really, it you know, it was such a special show, I think. And it, what I loved about it is that it had immediate effects for the people watching. You know, you could just mm. give people real concrete advice and help, um, you know, to make sure they're not getting screwed over <laughs> by big corporations, which is... You know, so nice, and people really appreciated that. It's it's sometimes when you even when you make satire, you feel like Who, who's this helping? You know, this isn't changing anything. This is just you know reinforcing people's ideas that they already hold. But you know, it really did feel with with the checkout that there were you know real Australians who you were helping out, save a few bucks, and you know that that felt really nice. And it was, oh, a, it was a great team too. Good. I will mention very briefly, I did think you were quite good hosting Win the Week recently with Craig Rucastle. That oh, was a fun little quiz much. show. Yeah. I thought yeah. you made that your own, which was great. It was, yeah, it's great. It's, um, we were very much uh, crippled by coronavirus. Um, <laughs> yes. we, we started off having a show which was going to have celebrities and people from all over Australia coming down, live studio audience, and gradually, well, actually quite quickly, those things got whipped away from mm. us. And um, But, yeah, it, it's a lovely show and, uh, again, such a rare opportunity to get real Aussies on the screen. You know, it's not just celebrities yes. sharing their showbiz jokes. And, honestly, the people we had was so oh. they were so funny. There were some real mm. real characters, and um, yeah, I love I love talking to them. They're they're such a wild card. You can sort of always when you talk to someone who's been in the media for a while, you kind of know there's a, there's a predictability there. But you know, you never know what's going to come out of these people's mouths, and it's always so funny. So yeah, really. Well, yes, uh, media people have their you know their their on air persona. Um, you know, I, I remember meeting someone from the US, a journalism critic, Jay Rosen, in fact. We had dinner. He said, oh, oh you're – oh, yeah, Jay Rosen. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he just stopped mid-dinner and said, you're nowhere near as potty mouth as you are online. I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's just me turned up to 11 and with the grump factor turned up. Dragon friends. Alex Lee. Yes. Dragon Friends, a live stream slash podcast slash stage show of you and others playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> What's not to love? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, just just to put this in context, I, I mean, I think the idea is mad, but if you've got the running sheet in front of you, I've posted a photograph of the original Dungeons oh, & yes. Dragons rule books from 1974, and I have nearly every book oh, in wow. that photograph. And just oh, quietly. they beautiful. They, oh, the, the, yes. Ugly Eldritch little things. Wizardry. Oh, uh, yeah. The Greyhawk supplement, the Greyhawk. which is the first supplement. Which brought in the eye of the beholder. Oh, there you go, um, Gygax. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And what's even better, they're in storage now. I must pull them out of storage. The original set of three, I have one of the two copies, the first two to come in Australia in 1974. Uh, A guy called Mark Ortlieb, who was like the first D&D dungeon master in Australia, had one set. And a woman called Margaret Arnott had the other. And I can't remember for whatever reason, but she, she wanted to sell them I mean, quite early up, mm. I, she wasn't playing anymore or some such thing. Oh, wow. Uh, so so did you get into it really uh, really early? Oh, the yes. Uh, wouldn't have been 74. It would have been 76 or 7 because oh, wow. I can remember um, – oh, this is, this is dating me a bit too much. <laughs> but I remember – I remember there was a nest of players, certainly when I started uni, not long after that, and we would play every Friday night through until dawn and, and, and then go for pancake breakfast uh, at the Pancake Kitchen in Adelaide, which is where the Pancake Parlour and Pancake on the Rock started uh, and then spread to Sydney and Melbourne and other things because we that were poor students, like so <laughs> cheap pancake breakfast. That's the dream. Oh. What fun! Did you ever did you ever get, sort of get dressed up or anything like that, or you kept it pretty cool? Not, <laughs> no, no, that was all done fairly straight back then. Yeah. But I did later join the Society for Creative Anachronism, the medieval uh, yes. recreation <laughs> group. And uh, I know some of some of you people do listen to this podcast. I know it's been. 20 years or more since I've had any connection with you. <laughs> um, but, yes. Oh, good fun. Yeah, it's, a one, play- it's, it's wonderful. No, so the, Did- the, the point of it was that um, my friend Dave Harmon, who was, he had played a lot of sort of fantasy games and stuff like that, and he was always trying to rope us in to play some new and incredibly complicated board games on the weekends and stuff, and he thought he could, you know, finally get us to play D&D with him by you know, giving us stage time. Um, so the idea was, a bu- yeah, a bunch of his fr- mates who are comedians um, that we would play Dungeons and Dragons having never played it before live on stage. And the first time we played it um, was on stage on our first show. And, you know, you oh, can wow. really you can really tell. And, that, and um, <laughs> I was so doubtful. I remember sitting at his house who was sort of talking through it. I said, Dave, no one's going to watch this. Like people who like D&D are going to get annoyed at us being so crap at it. And people who don't like it are going to be so confused with all these dice and all this maths. I was so mad. I'd been tricked into doing maths on stage. And we did the first show <laughs> and it was so much fun. And, you know, I I never, ever would have thought that it's sort of the one of the longest comedy projects I've been involved in and it's such a source of um, joy for me you know it's at least it's, it's a chance to get to see my friends every month um, <laughs> and we you know we've been playing these characters for seven years now and you know they wow. it's it's so um, yeah such an it feels so natural just to sort of be making the decisions that your character would make and um, yeah it's 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 just group um storytelling therapy it's just, oh, yeah, story yeah. <laughs> sorry i do know that <laughs> yeah that that too uh-huh. um yeah and it's it's great it's great fun and we've been able to do a bunch of crazy stuff because the um the company that makes D wizards of the coast they got wind that there was this sort of rude aussie podcast playing their game and we thought they were going to send us a cease and desist and instead they invited us over <laughs> to um america to go and play in one of their sort oh, wow. of big um D festivals and um just an opportunity that was totally wasted on me because i'm not really <laughs> i don't really play outside of doing D- dragon friends and we were there with you know these huge D celebrities like people from critical role and and um uh you know uh like matt mercer and all these, all these these big names in D and i had no idea who they were and i was just like oh hello um, nice to meet you and then i have you know family who are really into it back home, being like, oh, my God, I can't believe you met these people. <laughs> oh, God. So what about your characters? Uh, you know, my character is a, a half-orc called Filch who's very stupid and very brave and just sort of does things very instinctively. And there was a bit we, – so I was playing with these people I'd never played before and we landed in the, on this foreign sort of planet and there was this huge eagle – 
And the first thing that I did was go up and say, hello, birdie, and pat it on the beak. And there was just, everyone was aghast, like, but they couldn't believe that uh, that anyone would do that and sort of basically just go on a suicide mission straight away. But that's the beauty of it. You just have to follow the um, instincts of what your character would do. And, and it's not about trying to win necessarily. It's just about living that, living and breathing that creature that you inhabit. So I love it. I, I, I find it so much fun. And it would fit well with, uh, I mean, your experience with improv and theatre sports and all those things. That yeah. Again, it's that, as you say, collective um, group that, <laughs> I can say group therapy again, group storytelling. Yeah, it's a wonderful way. I think it is therapy. It's a, it's a wonderful way to spend time with your friends. Like I'm always trying to convince people who go, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sort of curious, like, um, you know, once you've done all the sitting around talking about what you did that week and bitching about people you know with your friends, it's really nice to mix it up and just go into a whole new world and go on adventures together. Like, yeah, I would. anyone who's out there thinking about it, I would recommend it. Wow. <laughs> there we go. Alex Lee recommends Dungeons & Dragons. Said you've said it. <laughs> Before I do the uh, housekeeping, just a quick correction. Uh, when I was talking about the Streisand effect, I said that the photographs of the Californian coast were taken uh, by a government agency. Turns out it was a non-profit uh, the California Coastal Records Project, founded in 2002, it documents uh, the California coastline with aerial photos taken from a helicopter uh, flying parallel to the shore and they take one photo every 500 feet. So it's, what, about 150 metres or something like that, and their website uh, provides access to those images, which is what uh, Ms Barbara Streisand was objecting to. And now we all know where she lives. So this is the uh, final episode of the Spring Series. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who supported it. You are, of course, listed on the podcast website and and so many thanks to you. Coming up, well, it's still a bit flexible at this stage. I am tracking down some suitable submarine-related people so we can talk about modern submarine warfare and the issues uh, that Australia is involved with there. Um turns out it's quite difficult to find people who know about submarines but are able to talk about submarines. Uh, plenty on the policy, not so much on uh, the doing submarine stuff aspect. So that's uh, still in the pipeline, but soon. Uh, I will also do an end-of-year wrap episode of some sort. And I did say I would talk a bit about uh, what might happen in terms of a summer series. Uh, I haven't had time this week. I wanted to get this one out um, before spring ran out. Um, so I'll get back to you about that. In the meantime, if you enjoy the pod, you know what to do. Please tell your friends and family and even your enemies about it. Your workmates, even that bastard you don't like very much, they might like to listen to the podcast. Or if there's an episode you really hate, get them get them to listen to that one. Um, the more audience, the better. And if you would like to support the pod financially, and I do note Christmas is, is coming up, just 25 sleeps to Christmas, people, uh, go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip. The 9pmedic.com slash tip. Uh and, and contributed something. That would be very nice if you did, and I would love you long time. It's trigger word time, Ms Lee. This is the... <laughs> One fell out. Put it back in. This is the glass jar of transparency and a number of stains um, on each of these folded up pieces of paper is a trigger word suggested by a supporter of the pod. We will draw one out at random and see what happens. Now, some people just say, eh, draw a random word from randomwords.com, which is even better. 
<laughs> ah, Peter Leverdink, who's a long-time supporter. Uh, he has sent in a big batch recently because he chucked quite a bit of money this way. Thank you, Peter. Hope. 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 Oh, Peter, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Four <laughs> letters, but wow. Yeah. And I will I will reveal he had one in the last episode with Dr. Alice Gorman and he had doubt. Oh. As, so he's put, you've got hope. God. I, I can help you here if you like because your comedy often has to be about fairly depressing subjects. What do you have hope about anywhere in there? Oh, what a – what a wonderful question. I think the fact that, you know, even if stuff feels really depressing and overwhelming, I think the fact that you're talking about it and the fact that you're still trying to puzzle it out and, and make sense of things and, you know, try and get towards an answer, that that's an, that's an act of hope in a way, isn't it? I mean, if you... If you're engaging in it still, even when it feels too hard, I think that's saying, well, I think we still, there's still stuff to talk about here. I'm not just going to give up. That's interesting because I saw a wonderful quote on Twitter the other day said, I'm not laughing at this terrible circumstance. I'm not laughing with it. I'm laughing through it. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. Isn't it? And I think that's how I my sense of humour works sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I get criticised for having a very dark, a very bleak sense of humour. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing that happened. That's gone very serious. No, but, but you, you've got to find joy in the absurdity of a terrible situation sometimes. I mean, when you, you know, have politicians who you just feel like are constantly – letting people down and just pursuing their own self-interest um, and then they do something that's so, you know, bald-faced, hypocritical, like that it surprises mm. even you. You know, that's there's something funny in that and I think as long as you're not tuning out, I guess, that there's still hope in mm. in, in changing the system and, and it's so easy to, you know, there's, there's so many other things you can just distract yourself with. But you know that's if you like do that, you're the block or exactly, you know, yeah. You know, um, doing online shopping. Um, mm -hmm. You're in it if you can drinking. If you can ignore the news, then you are in a position of privilege because some people they are in that they're that stuff is happening to them and they can't escape it and they can't tune it out. So I think we sort of you know we owe it to those around us um, to to do that. Well, that's why we get frustrated. I think so many mm. people get frustrated with especially, you know, the white male private school politicians. For them, it's it's a debating club. It's a game. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, no, the, the decisions you make affect real people um, and they don't seem to get that. No. Some, well, I mean, some politicians do and I'm surprised sometimes – by those that do, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of um, Jackie Lambie in Tasmania, Senator Lambie, who's who's shows some remarkable compassion, even though at other times she just says the most outrageously <laughs> boganish things imaginable. Um, yeah, because I think you know people like her. She's still connected to the community that she represents in some way, and I think mm. other people, you know, I spent a little bit of time in Canberra when I was working. Um, at BuzzFeed as, as a, a political writer and it just really struck me, you know, coming in as an outsider, what a um, – it just feels like school camp. It's like everyone uh. goes and sort of performs at Parliament and they all go off, you know, drinking together afterwards and um, yeah, it was quite shocking really. It's just like, oh, you're just like playing a game. It's just sort yeah. of – yeah, the, the, the actual concerns of the people are so far down on the list of the priorities, you know. Because it's a lot. I think a lot of being a politician and working in the media is really fun, <laughs> and well, you know is. all that. Like, it, 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 it beats having yeah, a real job, you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Thank you, Peter Leverding, for that. Um, I think we'll do one more, and then I'm afraid I have a compulsory political question. <laughs> okay, from the glass jar now, we have Silvano, another longtime friend of the pod. 
he outsourced uh, his choice of trigger words to Twitter. Okay. So, Erst Kate on Twitter. Hi, Kate. Erst Cat Kate. Pudenda. I don't know what that is. Should I know this word? Um, lady parts. I need, I need to Google this word. How do we spell? How are we spelling this word? Oh, this will be fun. P U D E N D A. I've never. Oh, oh, your external a woman's external genitals. Mm. And is that a scientific word or is it a yeah? Um, pudendum. Have a look pudendum. Here. Is that where? Ah. Okay. How well, do I not come pudenda across that plural? Pudenda. I don't know. What, what did you do Latin at school? No, clearly not. Uh, I thought no. I knew all the words. All, all, <laughs> all the my words. bits. There's a lot of there's a lot of well. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, um, listeners may remember that one one time I did one of those. Give me money and I'll just keep marathon podcasting like a live stream until it happened. And one of the things I did, I found a site with 100 names for lady parts and just read them all out. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a there's yeah. a lot. I did men's parts too. Obviously, I'm not, you know, biased. I was about to say I'm not sexist. Sexist. I probably am. <laughs> Pudenda. Wow. I wonder if but, that's. But where, then pudenda um... is plural, which is a bit weird. I think mm. that might be. Accidental. I think they might have gone pudenda as the feminine ending, the female gender hmm. ending in Latin. Well, I guess pudendum it's like labia, like there's not neutral. really a plural. You don't say, do you say labias? Maybe you do. I've just never heard it before. Well, Fascinating. you know, you, they're, they're not the sort of thing you generally discuss in large numbers. I quite like it as, you know, some of the, I feel like, you know, vulva and vagina, they're quite harsh, but there's, there's a sort of lightness to pudenda, pudendum. Yeah. And it's sort of, you know, you've got penis and then so it's nice. You have two little, two P words. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you've got otherwise the harsh word cock and prick and mm. wanger and they're all I wonder where <laughs> kind that's of where, unpleasant yeah. words. Mm. It's so funny. I actually, I have a, a nearly three-year-old and he, um, you know, asks questions about these things and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you try and say the right, you know, tell him the right thing. But I, I did... Tell him that you know what ladies have. I, I didn't use the correct terminology. I told him it was it was vulva, and I, I told him I said it's just it's vagina, because to me, like yeah. having a two year old walking around saying vulva was just too much. Like I know that's correct, <laughs> and I'll correct him at some uh, stage. Just but- quietly, a vast number of <laughs> men generally don't know that that's the fact. Yeah, well, I, you know, uh, there's there's one another one walking amongst them who's two year old, two years old at the moment, <laughs> but he does get confused. He said he said to my husband the other day, he said, "Daddy, is your penis in your vagina?" <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> a, I mean, it's a good question. It right? is, yeah, and I think it's you know, a perfectly it makes fair sense. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, look! I think Silvano's got his money's worth there. Yeah, um, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, no, we ra- won't. Oh, another one, and then no, no. Let's go on to the political question. All right. Finally, I'm asking every guest who they think will win the federal election, which is increasingly looking like May, so I'll Mm. probably stop talking about it soon. Now, before I throw to you for your thoughts, I have been tracking the betting odds, uh, and they're currently sitting, uh, as they have been for the last few weeks, um, somewhat in favour of a Labor win, but not by a huge amount. Currently, uh, as we record this on the 30th of November, the odds are at sports bet. Not the, insert standard disclaimer there about gambling. Whatever. <laughs> $1.75 for a Labor win, $2.05 for a coalition win. So $1.75 to $2.05, not a huge difference, but it's not as close as it was a few weeks ago. Who do I think will win yeah. at this stage? I mean, you know, you can say whatever you want until you got the results. But I, at this stage, <laughs> I don't know. I think I feel like 
Oh, the, oh, the coalition's probably it, still got it. it. I, I, I just, I haven't, I feel like just, I haven't seen enough from Labor recently to feel like they're really offering something very strongly different. I mean, mm. um, I see a lot of things that make me quite disappointed and wish that they would, you know, but the, the things like when they th- said they're going to support some more gas fields and things like that. It's like, no, this is your chance to be a really strong opposition. But, you know, maybe uh, I'm sure they've got some internal thinking about why they're doing things like that. So really like other guests, you're just saying the election's kind of labours to lose. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that people are generally feeling pretty exhausted and, you know, tuned out of the political process and, I think the it, I think a lot of people are we feeling like oh let's just keep going with with this government like I don't know if people have uh, the energy for change at the moment and I think that they've really got a lot of work to do in, in energizing people and getting them excited about you know what what we can do in the next four years and and that there is a, a viable and sort of exciting difference that's available for them and I don't know I just feel exciting like exciting difference eh? yeah, exciting, a- I mean I'm not a slogan writer <laughs> an exciting difference but you know that things can be different that the politics doesn't have to operate in this way and um you know I just feel like we've come out of this pandemic and we've all done something incredible we've all made a huge sacrifice of to our own personal lives and to keep each other safe and we should feel really sort of buoyant and proud and you know hopeful like we said that that we've done something together and it doesn't really feel like that and no. I, I'm not sure why it all sort of just feels a bit empty you know we should f- be feeling like people felt at the end of the war you know they made huge <laughs> sacrifices have come out the other end and um, well, we sort of didn't come together, just, did we? Melbourne yeah. and Sydney were sniping at each other the whole time uh, opposition parties uh, in in any state really was sniping at their governments, even though that was kind of weirdly inconsistent, given that different parties are in power in different states. Yeah, I don't know. Still, the pubs are open, so there's that. <laughs> That's all right. We can go back to solving things the way we always do, just having a drink. <laughs> and on that note, Alex Lee. <laughs> Alex Lee, thank you so much for your time. I've, oh, I've really so great chatting it. to you. Dear listener, is the wonderful Alex Lee. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you did, tell people or go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip and do the needful. As I said, there will be another episode or two before Christmas. Until then, I'm still Gary and wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.